Hey guys, it's Hannah again, and this is Texas 1031. This is a true crime podcast, and this is our second Survivor Story episode. Uh, I have my dishwasher running and my dog panting right next to me, so sorry if that becomes a thing. All right, so we'll go ahead and just jump right into it like we did last time. Um, so picture it, get ready. It's Friday night in Port Arthur, Texas, all right? February 6th, 1998. 17-year-old Erin DeLeon is home alone with her infant son. She lives there with her mother, Kim, and her two other sisters, Claire and Sasha. Uh, Kim was a firefighter, and she was actually working the night shift. It was like a six-to-six shift, I believe is what they said. And this was actually kind of a common occurrence um, because she did have to rotate, you know, morning shifts, night shifts, and so forth. Um, But she would usually have the girl's grandparents or an uncle, relative, whatever, stop by at some point to check on them to make sure they were doing okay, or sometimes even just like sleepover. Um, So Erin was up watching TV while her son, Tony, slept in his crib in her bedroom. Uh, Her boyfriend called her around 7 or 8, asked her if she wanted to go get some dinner with him, but she said, you know, she had just put Tony down and she was just going to stay up and watch a movie. She said she had actually left the back door unlocked because she knew that Claire would be coming home soon from a date with her boyfriend, Tim, and didn't want her to, you know, be knocking on the door, knocking on the window, waking up Tony, all those things. So Aaron said that she actually never really heard anything suspicious and all seemed pretty normal, fine in the house, nothing too, you know, spooky, no weird noises, whatever, until she heard the door open. When she turned to see who had entered, you know, the house, she said she initially thought it was just a friend of hers playing a joke on her. But then she said she saw the man take out his gun, point it directly at her face, and then say the most haunting thing ever. I bet you wish you'd lock the door, don't you? So that's just terrifying. Um, So he had a knitted mask covering his face and he had on a pair of gloves. He proceeded to force his way further into the house with Aaron still at gunpoint. He had also grabbed her by her hair and made it known that he was there to rob the house. She actually stopped at one point and asked him if they could be, you know, as quiet as possible because she had her baby Tony sleeping in the other room. And he actually seemed to understand and oddly obliged her request. She knew that anything of value would be in her mother's room, and that's also where she knew that her mom had a revolver hidden under her mattress. She thought about making, you know, her way over to the nightstand in her mom's room, make it seem like she was getting maybe some more things for him to take, but instead, you know, try and grab the gun. Uh, But she decided it was just, it was too risky at that time. She just, you know, didn't know what to do her, her Thoughts were everywhere and she didn't want to make a mistake and end up getting herself killed or her child killed. They then moved to her bedroom where, you know, she reiterated to be quiet because her son was asleep, but she said he still made her turn the light on. So at this point, Aaron's sister, Claire, who was actually only 14 at the time, pulls in the driveway with her boyfriend, Tim, returning from their date. Claire said she thought it was odd because all the lights in the house were off except for Aaron's room, which she thought was strange because she figured, you know, Tony sleeps in there. He should be asleep by now. That's really strange. I don't get it. So she tells Tim to actually wait in the car while she goes and checks out everything, uh, make sure it's okay. And it's just like, come on, girl, make your boyfriend go with you. I would never. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I would never go into a house that. No, just don't. So Claire makes her way up to the front door and Aaron opens the door while she herself stood in the doorway. Aaron says, come inside. It's okay. 
Claire recalls that Aaron looked visibly scared. She wasn't smiling. She wasn't doing, you know, the typical, you know, big sister eye roll of just, you know, oh my God, just get inside the house, like blah, 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 you know, being annoyed at the existence of her younger sister. All of a sudden, Claire says that she saw a gun come from the side of Aaron and point, you know, against her head, uh, Aaron's head. And she said she saw the man and he said, come inside or I'll blow this bitch's head off. So that's good. At this point, both of the girls are yanked inside. Claire is crying, asking a million questions while the man still has Aaron by the hair with the gun at her head. Aaron is trying to tell Claire to, you know, just calm down. Everything will be fine. I just really need you to calm down and and not make this situation worse. She's trying to stay calm for everyone because she knows her child is at risk and she knows this can just be escalated and we just don't need to panic. So everyone needs to just take a chill pill. So at this point, it's been a few minutes. So Tim decides to see what was going on and go inside and check on the girls. Tim knocks on the door and the man instructs Claire to just tell him to go away. Just tell him to leave. And she's just in this, you know, major state of shock and panic. She can't really form the words, you know, to tell Tim to get out of here, you know. And so the guy comes around the corner and tells Tim to just get inside. He forces Tim and Claire to go into the bathroom in the house. And the two then just sit in the bathroom trying to, you know, figure out what they can do to get out of the situation. So during this time, the man has Aaron in the living room and uh, he tells her to remove her clothes. She then begins to hear uh, the sounds of duct tape being torn off of the roll. Uh, She then has her eyes covered in duct tape. Then the man tells or excuse me, then the man calls Claire out of the bathroom. She said when she came out, she saw Aaron naked on the floor and her heart sank because she knew that, you know, this situation wasn't anywhere close to being over. He then instructs her to undress as well and then proceeds to duct tape her eyes as well. The two sisters are now laying on the ground, you know, pretty close to each other, and they actually grab each other's uh, hands and begin to say the Lord's Prayer. The man proceeds to kick Claire in the side and tells her to shut up and move further away from Aaron. Uh, At this point, this is when he rapes Aaron. Uh, She is quoted saying, "It it was the coldest, most horrible thing I've ever experienced, and I hope that he will just have his way with me and leave Claire alone. So Claire is actually just a few feet from Aaron during her rape and is pleading with the man to, you know, stop hurting her sister. Like that's all she said. That's all she could really form. Uh, You know, she wanted to say, you know, awful, scary, mean things to him to get him to stop. But she said all she could really, you know, sentence wise produce was please just stop hurting my sister. And that's a really sad realization to me of just I don't know the innocence of her and just the shock of you know the state that you're in he then turns his attention to young Claire he said uh, excuse me she said that he began to run his fingers down her stomach and she actually yells out that she's on her period you know I'm on my period so you know in a way to maybe make him stop and he says all right And yanks her up off the ground. Unfortunately, he pulls her close to him, presses the gun to her head and says, do you feel that? Don't do anything stupid. He then rapes her orally while he sits in a living room chair. Uh, Soon after he finished with Claire, the girls hear a car pull up in the driveway. 
Unbeknownst to them, their Uncle Billy has arrived to check on them. Billy Ryman was a firefighter as well and was actually a pretty massive, muscular guy. The girls described this moment as very bittersweet because they knew that Billy could most definitely save them, but they knew if the man saw Billy, he would most likely view him as a threat and could possibly kill him. Claire says that she hears Billy open the door and ask, you know, who are you? What, you know, what's going on here? What, you know, why are my nieces, you know, what is happening? And she said that she then hears a gunshot and the sound of something very heavy falling onto the floor. Claire at that point was able to roll the duct tape off of her eyes a little bit and um, see what was happening. She then sees her uncle on the floor moaning from the gunshot wound. The man steps closer to the door to see if there is anyone else still in the car because uh, Billy had actually left it running. So he's freaking out that there might be another person in the truck. So actually pretty smart move. Claire says, you know, I don't know. Why don't you go check? And she said that she heard the screen door kind of creak open and then, you know, like someone was kind of peeking out and then she heard it slam. And so she knew that the only way that the screen door would make that noise if someone had actually gone outside. So they realized that he's gone outside to investigate the truck situation and to see if anyone else was out there. She said she immediately, there was no thought of, okay, what do we do now? She said she just jumped up after hearing the screen slam, ran and closed the door behind the screen and locked it. The door that was unlocked, <laughs> letting him in initially in the first place. Um, so she locked it and in turn, she locked the guy outside. The man proceeds to begin to beat on the door and screaming, you know, let me back inside. I'm going to get you, you know, like... Ooh, I'm going to get you like that's I mean, it would be terrifying if you were in that situation. But it was just like, come on, man, you don't have anything else scarier to say. Um, but anyway, the girls race to get dressed. They check on Tony, Tim and Billy. Aaron goes and grabs the revolver from her mother's bedroom. Tim says that he actually saw an outline of a person outside Aaron's bedroom window and assumed it was probably the intruder, you know, still lingering around the house. So. They decide, all right, we got to call the police. We got to get someone over here to help us. So they go to try and call the police. And when they pick up the phone, there was no dial tone. This guy is kind of an idiot because instead of shooting like an open window or shooting a window to try and, you know, break it open or bust a window open, whatever, he decided to try and shoot the lock off of the door and like try and get the door open. I don't you're not that good of a shot. I mean, maybe he was, but I just thought that was kind of funny. There are easier ways to enter a home. Um, But the girls and Tim decide to make a run for the attic and hide out in there while the man is trying to re-enter the house. This was the only, you know, safe place they could really think of to kind of wait it out and see what happens. So he couldn't see them, you know, walking around in the house or whatever. Um, At this point, they can kind of hear their uncle making noises downstairs And they just felt so terrible that they had to leave him there while they, you know, were themselves trying to avoid, you know, getting shot. Uh, After a while, they believe that the man had left. So they all decide to try and creep downstairs and get help. Aaron stays with Billy and Tony while Claire and Tim go to the police station. Uh, In their interview, she was like, I don't know why we just didn't run to a neighbor's house. We just... We just decided to go to the police station. They weren't really thinking that clearly. But anyway, so Aaron stays with her uncle, like I said. Um, 
in his, you know, final moments before he actually does end up passing away from the gunshot. Um, and it was a really emotional moment for her to, her to describe. Um, I can't imagine having to be leaning over a loved one or a relative as they pass away. So, uh, she then decides to take Tony and goes to a neighbor's house for refuge. They give her a blanket. They are waiting there for, uh, police and help to arrive. Aaron and Claire's mother was one of the first people to arrive at the neighbor's house after hearing her own address being called over the police radio. She then had to tell her mother that Billy had been killed and she just keeps apologizing that she couldn't stop, you know, the shooting and that she was sorry that she couldn't have done more to help him. What they didn't know was that Billy's girlfriend, Marcia Sharp, had actually been waiting outside in Billy's truck in the driveway while he went up to the house. That's why the, the truck was left on. Marcia heard the gunshot fired at Billy, but thought perhaps it was a, you know, car backfiring. Moments later, she saw the man run out of the house and then try and go back in. So this is the point where he runs out to see if anyone's in the car and then he hears the door lock. So he goes and tries to get back in. Um, you know, he had realized he'd been locked out by Claire. Uh, he then approaches the truck on the passenger side where Marcia was sitting. The door was unlocked, but she... Uh, as he reached for the handle, she actually got it to lock. Um, he was still wearing his mask, so she couldn't really tell who he was, what was happening. He pulled out his gun, shot once at the lock on the car door. Again, this guy's a genius. Um, he then noticed that the driver's side door was unlocked, so he ran around to the driver's side of the truck. But again, Marcia quickly reached over and locked that door too. He shot twice at the lock on the driver's side door. Still didn't open. He then stepped back, look at, looked at Marsha, and shot two more times at the driver's side door window. But uh, nothing happened. None of the gunshots hit Marsha, and he just ran off away from the home. Like, this guy sucks so hard. Like, stop, stop shooting people. Stop shooting cars and locks, man. Just, like, go away. Erin and her mother, Kim, go to meet with Claire and Tim at the police station. The girls give a description of the attacker and um, the police were soon thereafter able to arrest him. Uh, the girls were actually eventually told that they had survived an attack from a serial killer. So Elroy Chester, first of all, his name sounds backwards. You know, shouldn't it be Chester Elroy, but whatever. Was a black male. He was only 29 at the time of this crime. He confessed that he watched Aaron through the open window blinds. And when it appeared that she was home alone, he cut the phone lines, put a mask and gloves on, and entered through an unlocked door. He claims he had actually even burglarized the same home before. Now, I don't know if that means, you know, the same home that, you know, when they were living there or a different family was living there. I don't even know if that's true, but it was on his uh, TD, CJ record, whatever. So I'm assuming it's true. Against the advice of his attorneys, Elroy Chester took the stand at his punishment hearing, stating that he, quote, had a lot of fun burglarizing homes and he wanted to kill white folks and that he was tripping the night he killed Billy. So what a guy. He wished he'd killed more and that the De Leon girls were lucky they ain't dead. He told jurors that if they sentenced him to death, he would order his homeboys to kill a Port Arthur police officer. If they gave him a life sentence, he would kill a guard in prison. It took the jury 11 and a half minutes to give him the death penalty, 
And in an article written in 2013, it says that the jury had actually set a record with that deliberation time. Chester pled guilty to the murder of Billy Ryman and admitting, admitted to killing four other people. So John Henry Cepeda in September of 1997, Etta Mae Stallings in November of 1997, Cheryl DeLeon in November of 1997. There is no relation between Cheryl and the other members of the family. And then Albert Bolden Jr. in December of 1997. So Chester engaged in a nearly year-long crime spree, leaving five people dead, five others shot, as well as shooting a dog, raping three girls ages 17, 14, and 10, and burglarizing 25 homes that they know of. During cross-examination, prosecutor Paul Williams urged Elroy Chester to provide the names of the supposed homeboys he said were with him during some of the slayings and burglaries, so more people wouldn't die. Elroy responds, quote, you've got to die one day. Paul McWilliams replies, that's true, you sure do. Elroy Chester was executed by lethal injection on June 12, 2013 in Huntsville, Texas. This concludes our second survivor story. All information will be put in the show notes as well as where to reach us and where to find our social media. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if anyone's listening, happy Halloween.